Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts... Brent and Chase Woolsey. Good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey and thank you for joining us this morning. Been doing the Smart Investing Show here in uh, San Diego and local radio for 28 years now. If you have investment questions or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, give us a call at 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. As always, for that unbiased, no strings attached, opinion about what you want to talk about. And Chase, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing good. We got everything all kind of like backwards today and things a little bit different. Without Brendan here, gosh, we miss Brendan. Uh, <laughs> I know he's got a vacation day, which he deserves as always, but uh, everything. Oh, shit. Oh, oh can't cuss there. <laughs> um, <my laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's, uh, gosh, it's just a mess this morning, but uh, we're still here. We're still ready to do the show. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, my computer just uh, came unplugged and that's why. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, all right, well, we got a lot to talk about before we take the calls. Uh, and Well, let's, first of all, we, we got a workshop coming up at uh, Alesmith Brewery coming up on May 20th, uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, and, and last time was very well. They had that uh, great food there with a food truck uh, there, and yep. uh, people bought beer and so forth. It was it was a great, uh, great time. Good atmosphere. A lot great, of fun. Great atmosphere, a lot of fun. And we, we really give a lot of information about how we manage money for people, how we manage our own money. A lot of, I don't want to say secrets, but a lot of behind the scenes of how we do things and how I've been successful. I've uh, been in the finance world now for over 40 years and what I've learned uh, doing that and, and how we managed through the COVID last year and what we see going forward, how we're going to manage things going forward. So it, it is a free workshop. What you can do is go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up there. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, you can call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Just listen for Brianna when you hear her number. I think she's number five on the phone tree. I think so. Uh, just uh, press number five and tell that you want to attend the workshop on May 20th, 6 o'clock. Uh, that's a Thursday at Alesmith Brewery. All right. Uh, so a lot of things to talk about here before we take your calls. So let's start off. And this is something that kind of stood out to me. Because I'm not worried yet, but I'm always looking for signs of things that can change going forward. And one thing that I saw uh, was the subprime car buyer is once again having trouble. Uh, Currently, 10.9% of the subprime car buyers are more than 60 days late on their payments. And this this is kind of, I'm watching, I'm not worried, like, oh my gosh, things are going to collapse, but I want to bring this out for people. Yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't been this high since 2005, which, of course, also included the Great Recession in 2009. And I'm kind of surprised by that, that the you know late payments weren't higher in 2009. Yeah. It's kind of a, a shocker. 
But, you know, with the shortage of new and used cars, perhaps the repossession rate of these cars could pick up quicker because you need to get more cars on the market. I mean, the used car market is just on fire right now. I know. I mean, the new car market is too, and then we have the chip shortages. I mean, there's just so much going on in the car market, and, you know, I'm kind of surprised that the payments are late. I mean, what do people do when they're stimulus checks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or they're unemployment, you know? There should be money going towards those, those car payments. And, and what it could be is that they're just – too much money coming in and you don't realize how to handle it. And you yeah. kind of overextend yourself like, oh, this is so great. I feel like I'm so rich and I'll get a car and I'll get this, I'll get that. Like, oops, uh, my, my, what is it? When your income exceeds your outflow, that is your downfall. Yeah. And so if you have, we'll just say 4,000 coming in, but you've overextended yourself to 5,000 a month. Yeah, you're getting more than before, but, but now <laughs> you're in a situation uh, to where you can't get out of it. And, and that's what I'm kind of hoping it is. It's just a few people, not the whole economy, but we'll watch this closely. And what could happen too, Chase, is that they could actually start repossessing these cars quicker because the demand for used cars is so high. So like, sorry, you're 60 days late. We're, we're going to take your car. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I don't know, kind of you know, a little off topic here, but still on the same topic. You know, I, I was on Fox 5 this last Wednesday and uh, was actually talking about emergency savings. And... Uh, you know, the anchor Raul there asked about at the end, well, do you think that COVID is going to make people kind of wake up and realize, oh, I need to take care of my finances? And I said, you know, I, I hope so. But this kind of shows me that people aren't waking up at some parts of their financial lives. Yeah. And I said, the thing that scares me is I think now that people think the government can just come save them. You know, oh, they're going to boost unemployment again. If I lose right. my job, it's fine. They'll boost unemployment. We'll get stimulus checks. <laughs> Nobody knew what a stimulus check was 20 years ago. Yeah. It's just crazy. But, it, you know, this is kind of, again, nothing that it's going to take down the stock market. It's going to take down the economy. But I'd say there's some inklings there of, of concern. Yeah, yeah. And the, the thing, too, that you, you kind of worry about that because you're right. Are people falling in this trap, which I, I hate to say, I don't want to get political here, but I think some people in higher powers want this to happen because they want to go the socialist route. Well, that's what happens. If you make people dependent on you, they won't know how to go out and get a job and they won't know how to to make money. And therefore, they are going to be waiting for the government, which puts you in this difficult situation. Um, obviously, not good for the investing world down the road either. I mean, if, if people... I, I, and I, I've never studied, have no clue uh, how investing works in socialism. If it even does work, do they even have investing in a socialist country? I don't even know. I don't think so because everything's owned by the government. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, what a what a terrible change that would be. I mean, <laughs> I don't think we'll get there. I, I don't want to go not. down that dark path. But yeah. if you're yeah. on the government, return those checks. Do yeah. something. I mean, <laughs> go to work. Yeah, and 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 I I say that jokingly, but it is true because you hear employers. There's so many help wanted sides out there that employers are saying we can't get people to come to work because they're getting paid more for staying home than they are coming to work, and and that is a social economic problem maybe because. In a way, I, I get what people are doing, but uh, we went to – so nice. Went to uh, Applebee's for lunch with a client on Wednesday. So nice kind of get back to like, oh, we can do this again. But uh, but my client asked the waitress, like, now why are you working? She goes, because I was so bored staying home. Um, I wanted to come into work. So and, – and usually it gives you a better attitude because you're fulfilling some things opposed to staying home and just, I don't know, watching – do they even watch soap operas anymore? I don't know. I think they play video games maybe now. 
No, they're still soap operas. They're still soap operas. Uh, well, it's not soap operas. It's reality TV. There we go. Reality. That, that's right. That's soap opera. <laughs> reality TV. So it, it is something that, again, this could be the tip of the iceberg with the car loans. I'm hoping that it's going to change. But uh, let, let's change gears here because I think every week for the last few weeks we have talked about Bitcoin. But I couldn't let this pass because I hate the Bitcoin hype, as I call it. Uh, Kansas City uh, Chiefs tight end Sean Culkin uh, says he will take all his money in Bitcoin. But when you read the details, I want to say something else, but I can't say it on radio. Um, it, 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 I'll just call it hype. Smoke and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors. Exactly. I like that one. That's much nicer than what I wanted to say. Yeah. Bull, you know. Well, <laughs> and it's funny, too, because, uh, you know, on draft day, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who was the first overall pick, and, you know, great football player, um, he said, I'm, I want to be paid in uh, Bitcoin in, for my bonus. Right. But it's the same thing. He's not being paid in Bitcoin. He's actually being paid in dollars, paying taxes in dollars, mm-hmm. and then he's converting it to Bitcoin. I mean, it's it's a big difference because, I mean, again, you break it down. Let me repeat that. When you read the details, you see they're being paid in dollars, not being right. paid in Bitcoin. Then they pay taxes on those U.S. dollars. With U.S. dollars. With U.S. dollars. And then he's converting it to Bitcoin. And then get this. If he sells Bitcoin to convert it back to dollars, he has to pay taxes again on dollars on the game. <laughs> it all comes back to the dollars. I, I just uh, uh, It's crazy to me. Yeah. And, and why is this done? Because there's people out there that want to promote Bitcoin. And I think this is also like a lot of people want to be the cool kids. I want to be part of a big party. And, oh, I don't want to miss out on the sorority thing. I mean, that's what it, what it is. And when you still ask people that are so hyped up about Bitcoin, well, what is it? They still can't explain it, and they they don't get it. They just want to be. And I've seen this happen many times before. I, I know last week I forgot the name of the book now, but about the madness of crowds and so forth. This is what's going on. There's a select group of people that are pushing this up, and I I I, I just don't believe. And what happens? And, and again, Bitcoin could go to hundred thousand. I don't know. Don't nobody knows. And that's the crazy part. No one knows. But what happens if Bitcoin goes from fifty thousand down to I don't know. 30 or 35,000. Will the party be over? And then what happens? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the thing I just don't understand, you kind of brought it up, is when you ask people about it, it's like, well, is it a currency? Some people say, yeah. And other people say, oh, no, no, no. Bitcoin should not be viewed as a currency. It's like digital gold. And then you ask another person, and it's a completely different Mm -hmm. ideology of it. And I mean, I I was, you know, had a Facebook conversation with a guy, and, you know, good guy. Um, But we, we were kind of going back and forth on it and i said i just don't understand it because like if let's say you want to buy a tesla right with bitcoin well why would you do that if you think bitcoin is the future it's going to hundred thousand dollars let's say why would you sell your bitcoin to buy a tesla the right. tesla is not going to appreciate by a hundred percent not to mention you also put yourself in a tax bind because now let's say you buy a tesla for 50 grand <clears throat> You have to pay taxes on any of the gains that you had on that particular Bitcoin investment. I mean, why would you do that? That makes absolutely no sense to pay taxes and limit yourself on the compounding going forward. So my whole point is I just don't see what value Bitcoin has, not from like a – obviously, we know it has no earnings. But what does it provide to society? Right. Uh, uh, Right now, actually, it takes from society because of how much it takes to actually develop a Bitcoin. The energy use, I guess, is uh, extraordinary. But the other thing, too, I, and I did learn some this week, and I don't know if I can remember the name. Maybe you remember it. But Landry's restaurants are saying, oh, now they're going to take Bitcoin. And I put out the question, well, 
you're not going to pay $50,000 for a dinner, so how are you going to pay up for a $200 dinner? And the gentleman brought up something about there's a... Like Shiroshi or something? Shiroshi or something. Yeah. And he goes, it's like change. Like when you have a dollar, you, you have a dollar, you break it for like a quarter, and you take them, you know, 10 cents and so forth. But I'd never heard that before. That's the first time I ever heard that. But still, that worries me because here's a, now another unknown, a Shiroshi who was designed by some gentleman. And I say a gentleman, I don't know. Maybe he's not a gentleman. But um, it's it just more things that are kind of out there. Like, well, what is that now? <laughs> well, so then the other thing is, and I think we need to move on after this because yeah, <laughs> we can yeah. talk about it for hours. But the other thing is, they come back, well, it's great because, you know, the government's out of it. You know, it's a peer-to-peer network, so you don't have to worry about government intervention. Well, the government keeps talking about concerns over regulation because right. of, uh, you know, the uh, dark market and, you know, uh, <laughs> ISIS and all these different things yeah, it, yeah. Uh, to use it. So the government's like, we need to make sure that we're not doing this. So we need to regulate it. <laughs> I was reading an article. The government's like, yeah, we, we found ways that we can kind of make some regulations for it to kind of intervene a little bit. So then now you lose that other positive of Bitcoin. And now what's <laughs> the purpose of it? You know? You've got air yes. <laughs> that's what you have. Yeah. so um and again i it, it could go to a hundred thousand dollars because i've seen craziness happen before it, it happens time over time again uh where you get groups of people that just are are into it this group will buy things they'll 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 bid it up and all of a sudden they wake up and somebody like well no this is not worth anything and and all of a sudden people lose money so it's uh before the tulip bulb crisis yeah tulip bulb more than a Price of a house makes no sense. Yeah, and 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 you had the tech boom and bust. You had the nifty fifty. I mean, there's hit, history lessons that tell you this, but people say, "Oh no, this is different this time." Like, all right, well, well, good luck there, and I just hope that you get out before. And that's the thing too. If you get out before the craziness ends, you'll be fine. Yeah. But if you ride it till the end, you'll be left in the street crying. Yep. So, all right, well, let's move on here. Uh, talk about the average institutional equity fund because. Uh, this does include mutual funds and ETFs, but the average institutional fund, equity fund, is only holding 4% of its portfolio in cash, and this is according to Bank of America. And, and for me, this has always been a sig- signal to be cautious here because if you don't have much cash, well, you can't do much buying. Yeah, I mean, they're, of course, less likely to buy and more likely to sell to raise cash. It's like mm-hmm. if their positions hit targets, like, okay, now we, we need to raise a little bit more cash. So now you're creating more selling and, and less buying opportunity. And another concerning sign as well is households currently have the highest share of their assets in stocks in more than 50 years. Household equity holdings now make up 47% of the total assets, according to Citigroup. Yeah, and, and this is just, uh, again, signs. And I mean, you, you're kind of happy to see it because more people are getting into equity investing. But my concern is, are they getting into the right part of equity investing because well they just doing the hype and buying the GameStop and buying and what actually happened to that because you don't hear much about what they call it kind of like hit at like 140 and then it's just been stuck in that range well it actually dropped all the way to like uh i think it dropped down to like back down to 40 then it went up to like 140 170 I mean, the high was 483, and it just seems like it's been at like 140 to 170 yeah. for a while, and there's just not much. The high, high was over 500, so I mean, a lot of people have lost their shirts on it. But no, it was whole... 483 was the high. Oh, okay, 43. Okay, yeah. so 500. <laughs> yeah. Close. Still, still not. I would not be the guy that paid 43 and still holding it now. But um, uh, the thing is, uh, you don't hear much about that now. For a while, we hear about the Reddit crowd with uh, 
uh, GameStop, and there's a couple other stocks. There's there like well. Cost was another one, and uh, for a little bit, remember like Tootsie Roll got involved oh, in Tootsie it. Roll got involved um, in there, it. There's a few on there. And, and you know, and actually, uh, this past week, I talked to a client, and he go, "Didn't that kind of happen with the Hertz rent a car?" I said, "Well, this was yeah. before, but it's a similar thing with a." The, and I think it was a start because uh, they filed bankruptcy, and the stock went down on a two. And somebody like, oh, wow, this is great. And all of a sudden, they bid it up to, I think it was like 6 or $7 a share. Yeah. And, and it was craziness. Actually, that happened to Eastman Kodak. I was going to say that one, too. As well. So this has happened, and there's people that are getting burnt on this because they're just, that's gambling. That's all it is. You're just hoping it goes higher. When you have people that are like, oh, I don't care because I bought it at 4 It's like, well, good for you. But also, that means you... Could have sold out at four eighty three, so don't tell me you're all excited about it going from forty three to one seventy three. I mean that that's that's yeah. a huge decline yeah. on your profits. Yeah. And, and and then many times too, people, yeah, I bought it and it's like point one percent of the total portfolio. Yeah, and I, I did want to bring out another number. I, I made sure to kind of pull this in because talking about that forty seven percent of the total assets for the household. I mean, if you actually look, the last time investors were this heavily invested, I mean, that was in nineteen seventy. The S&P 500's annual return compounded over the next 10 years. It was below 5%. Oh, wow. Not not good returns. And also, too, you look at another time and period. The tech boom, 1999. I'm sure you remember. People I loved remember stocks. One. People yeah. loved stocks back yeah. in 1999. The tech stocks, it's great. Well, over that decade from 1999 to 2009, the S&P 500 had negative returns. Yeah. So this is, again, uh, just a little bit of a warning sign that – you know, people. Oh, the S and P five hundred's done fourteen, and I, I I don't know the exact number, so don't right. quote me on this. You know, thirteen, fourteen percent over the last ten years. Why wouldn't you invest in the S and P five hundred? Again, there's a lot of warning signs. You can't expect. We always say past performance is no guarantee of future results. Yeah. That the S and P five hundred very well could average three, four percent over the next decade. It's a very real possibility. You got to be cautious of it. That's right. Let me open the phone lines here. Eight six six five seven seven. Two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three, and that will get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Um, but but Chase, so many lessons can be learned here, and and people have gotten into investing for the wrong reasons. It's not uh, investing, speculating. I guess yeah, speculating, that. trading. Like right. it, it's. I mean, I I hate to say it, but like. Technical analysis, that's not investing because you're not looking at the value of the business. You're looking at the movement of the stock price. That, that's not investing. Right. That's that's watching a computer and looking at what the, the stock price is doing. You can buy a terrible company that the stock price is moving based off technical analysis. And it's, again, a terrible company. That's not investing. You right. wouldn't consider that investing. Yeah. And, and, and there's just so many things that people – and that's they think it's so easy. And when it's easy, it's like it's not going to work. I'm sorry. Can you imagine, let's just say, you can't go see a house. All you can see is the prices of the houses and how those prices have been moving. No, you can't go look at the house, though. <laughs> You're just going to buy the house based off the prices of how they've moved. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> Isn't that what's kind of happening now? I mean, a little bit. I, I mean, I guess you're right. I mean, you I break mean, it down there. There are, well, they, they do see, I guess. Virtually. Uh, virtually, they see the house. But to never even go into the house, actually touch, you know, walk yeah. through it. I forget the number, but there's people actually doing that. And and the another craziness is the housing market. Too yeah. much money out there, and what's going to happen? That's going to cause the inflation, which is going to cause rates to rise. It's going to take money back out of the economy, 
and then people that did silly things with their money, they're going to lose. Now, again, I, I feel if you bought, I talked about this on KSI last week about how to, you know, deal with inflation. Um, you want to buy companies that will benefit from inflation. Well, what is inflation? The rising cost of goods and services. So if you invest in a business that's going to benefit from that because their prices are going to go up, then you're going to participate as well. And I want to warn people that it's not going to happen right away. What generally happens when you invest in a company during rising interest rates, rising inflation, is that generally will pull back a little bit because the concern comes in like, oh, my gosh, rates are going to rise. And then what happens quarter two, three, four, five, oh, no, five quarter, yeah. <laughs> fourth, fourth quarter, um, all of a sudden, oh, they're starting to benefit where their earnings and sales are starting to rise because of inflation. So do not think that just because you bought a food company that benefits from this, that your company's going to go up immediately. And this, this is why when we tell people when we buy something, we buy it for three to five years. So uh, you, you, and the, this is the important part where, where people, many times in investing, what's the saying? A little bit of information is dangerous. There's so many ways that Wall Street can flip you upside down. And you've got to get away from Wall Street. And you have to look at true investing to say, yeah, I, I know this company is going to go up and down. But where's it going to be three to five years from now? Yeah. So, all right. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Uh, you know, I kind of mentioned inflation. But let's talk about inflation a little bit. The Federal Reserve is missing, I think, the real inflation uh, do they not see that year over year, like for instance, pork chops are up nine percent, along with uh, uh, other food items, seeing substantial price increases. The big one that people may not realize is that inflation is, as I said, the rising cost of goods and services, and we all know the large increases in home prices. But there's something that they're kind of missing on that. Yeah, the interesting thing is home prices. Well, that's not included in the computation for inflation. The price of an existing home was actually up 17% in March. And as we kind of talked about, the housing market's yeah. gotten crazy. And, you know, that's where money is going. And, and you're seeing uh, that the Federal Reserve actually doesn't view housing as a good or service, essentially, but they actually view it as an asset. So that's why it's not included in that calculation. Uh, they do look at the cost of rents and housing, however, but rental prices generally lag housing prices by about 12 months. And I also said... Mixing gas prices into the picture here because they yeah. remove gas prices and food prices from core inflation because they're so volatile. But that's still money going out of your pockets into something. I mean, I think that true inflation, taking in all of this other data, is going to be quite prominent over the next few years. And, and also, too, I, I, they can't do this. It is the average inflation. But one thing, too, is that uh, a person 25 could have different inflation than a person at 75 because their consumption is different. person at 25 to 30, they're trying to buy a house. They're trying to rent. Or a person at 75, they may own their house outright and they're not part of that market, but they may have more medical costs, which are rising, which the 25 or 35-year-old may not have that. So that's the other thing, too, is that your own personal inflation could be uh, much, much different there. Yeah, and I did want to just kind of touch on the, this housing component as well. It, it's interesting. I mean, you think through it, it, it makes sense that the rental prices would lag housing prices because you have new people buying, like, we'll say, investment properties. Well, oh, I bought an investment property. Well, my mortgage is now this, so now they have to kind of raise rent. And the other people that have rental properties will now look at saying, oh, well, actually, they're now getting this for rent. Now I need to adjust my rent as well yeah. to be in the market. So it kind of makes sense on that. But the interesting thing is the largest component – 
for the CPI, the core CPI, is shelter. Yeah. So if this starts to trickle through to rents and into uh, the how the way the Fed looks at housing, I mean, you're going to see core CPI, I think, just skyrocket. I mean, 17%. You can't have housing prices go up 17% and not have rents go up somewhere near it. I mean, right. that just makes no sense. And, and it does supply demand. I, I'm, I'm sure oh. you drive around San Diego. Uh, right off of 15, they built, I don't know how many apartments it was. I think they just finished that maybe last year. I believe it was like a thousand apartments right off of 15 and maybe it's a boulevard. Now there's another apartment complex being built off of a scripts. Uh, was it, um, what was that street? Uh, no, Carroll Canyon. I think. Yeah. Carroll, yeah. So I'm seeing a lot of apartment places going up. Now what's going to happen is that right now demand is high, but the supply is being built. Same thing with housing. So houses are being built where the supply in a year or so could be much higher and then rents could stabilize or go down. Yeah. So it, You've got I – mean, there's no better economic tool than supply-demand. It always, always works out eventually. Yeah. No, I, I mean, absolutely. And it's it's something to kind of always look at. And, you know, I, I always tell people, they're like, oh, do you always think renting a home is better? Cause, I mean, you and I both rent at this time. Right. And I'm like, I would not buy a house right now. It no. makes no sense. <laughs> and – I'm like, no. I, I mean, there are times where buying a house makes more sense than renting. If rents, on the other hand, went up 17% and housing prices maybe stabilized, well, now you got to look at the, the price-to-rent ratio. There's yeah. all these different things you can look at to see what's the better value. But a lot of times people look at housing as kind of more of an emotional thing and rather than like, why would I look at the price-to-rent ratio when I'm buying a house? Because it could hurt you down the road if you overpay for a house. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again – you get that emotional feeling that feels good to own your own home and it feels good, but from a strictly financial, you know, basis, uh, right now I think people are far better to rent than to buy because uh, even somebody in an office selling their home, it just goes up and up and up and just like the it, it's ludicrous. And oh wow, I got another offer. Oh, and now you get people in bidding wars, and all of a sudden you're like getting. Yeah. I think she's getting like. Way, way over asking price. Yeah, yeah. And it's because it's just like, oh, here's a house. Let's buy it. And and eventually that game will change as well. So I'm, I'm glad that they are selling to get out. Because, and again, it like Bitcoin, it could go higher. But there is going to be a point where it's going to like drop like things like a rock. I just realized. What? After she sells her house, our whole office will be renting. Nobody in our office will own a home. Oh, wow. <laughs> I guess that tells you something that we, you know, believe it. And I would buy a home. The same way to buy an equity if I could find a great deal. I mean, a truly great deal yeah. where, you know, the house was, there's, there's, this is one house that, uh, I, I got to be careful how I say this, but there's a, one house that I, I missed it because the gentleman paid $7 million for the house. Yeah, make sure I get the number. Yeah, he paid $7 million for the house. He put $4 million into it to remodel it and do everything else to it. And he sold the house for $4.9 million. That's a type of deal I <laughs> yeah, want to get. That's what you need. Yeah. And it was an athlete that did that, yeah. by the way. So you want to find somebody that's so crazy with their money that they're like, yeah, just go ahead. I don't care. It's not worth the hassle anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that's a deal I want to buy if I'm going to buy a house. I yep. am not going to pay up and up and up. But again, look, he lost what? He lost a total of, what, $6 million? Yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't want to do that. I, I mean, I, it happens on not even the high end, too. I mean, it does happen oh. on the lower end as well. Yeah. Well, I, and I knew that one because I I, it's I mean, not, it was in the news. Or <laughs> not in the news, in the news but it was, it was pretty well published. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's what it was. Uh, all right. Phone number is 866 577 
866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Special Brent Chase. How can we help you? Morning, guys. I was uh, thinking that the online gaming sports betting might be taken off over the next year or two, so I started looking at some of those companies. I was wondering if you guys could look at Golden Nugget Online Gaming. G-N-O-G. Yeah, and I'm going to chase a look at this because I know this used to be in Las Vegas. It was an actual casino, so I wonder if they sold the casino just doing online gaming. So I'm going to look at this here. I'm going to have Chase look at that. And I look down immediately, unfortunately, for, well, Golden Nugget Online Gaming Incorporated, symbol is G-O-N-G. I look down right off the bat, not very much information at all. No P-E ratio, no price of sales, no price of book value, no valuation ratios at all. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. No sales growth. I do see earnings decline of 245% year-over-year versus a negative 23 for the industry. Uh, they do have a current ratio of 1.8 versus 1.2. <laughs> that is something good. But I'm just missing a lot of data here. And, and uh, I, I'm wondering if this was a spinoff from the Golden Nugget, and now they spun off this small company uh, for uh, online gaming. Chase, are you coming up with anything at all? or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of looked at what the company does here. I mean, um, they do operate, it just says, online gaming and digital sports entertainment, so it doesn't look like they have any physical properties. Right. Uh, it is based in Houston, Texas, so I do wonder if it is, of course, different from the uh, Golden Nugget right. uh, casino there. Uh, and they also, it says they offers patrons to play their favorite casino games and bet on live action sports events in New Jersey and Michigan, so not even in Texas. <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's interesting, but I, I can't get a lot of information on it. It's weird too. I, I'm not seeing a whole lot, but the market cap's 1.1 billion. I do see the 52 week range here. The low was 9.79, and wow, the high was 27.18. Current price 14 dollars and 72 cents. So it's been all over the place, and I, I think a lot of people might have the same idea there, Tim, is, oh, the, the future of this, and then it's like, oh, well, I, I made my profits, I gambled a little bit, I, I made it, so right. I'm going to take money off the table, preserve it. I think people are gambling with this gambling stock, because I, I do see going forward, uh, next year, estimated profits, there are none. Estimated to be a loss of 50 cents, so... Um, don't like when a company doesn't have a lot of information. I, I definitely think, as I said, it's a, you said it's a market, gamble. You said the market cap was $1.4? 1. 1.1 $1. 1 billion. $1.1 Well, here's some interesting facts for you, Tim. Total assets for the company, $178 million. Total liabilities for the company, $868 million. <laughs> Total liabilities gives you a net worth or a negative net worth of almost $700 million. So I think because of the whole hype on gambling and online stuff this stock is really being pushed up there's nothing backing this up at all so i and again this could go crazy could go to you know it's gambling could go to 20 30 40 dollars a share but i cannot justify at all anyone buying this as a business with a negative equity of you know 700 million dollars yeah I, a couple things i wonder if they have to save that money aside to pay out their bets if they end up taking a big loss that's why that's there and then the other two cities they're in that's where the legislature has already okayed like sports betting online and that's why i was thinking if it spreads throughout the nation they kind of already have their foot in the hold but not with that kind of negative return <laughs> and also i just noticed something else on the balance sheet uh as i said they have 77 million in short-term investments however 
And the third quarter of 2020, which was September 30th of 2020, uh, they had $900,000. So I think they had to pay out some money, yeah, <laughs> borrow something, do something there because, yeah, something had, had to happen there So to, to raise that cash. So very, very risky, very speculative. And, again, if you want to gamble – I always say go to Vegas and get the free drinks at least. You know. I just wonder why it's still in Texas. I I don't know if Texas is one of the states that's talked about it. I feel like you would have started and headquartered in the state that already offers it, but I know New Jersey's not super business friendly, so I get that one. But right. I, I just feel like Texas is a weird spot. I, I guess it's in the middle of the country. That that's a benefit, and they're business friendly. Business but, friendly. That, that that could be it too as well. And and I know and it used to be. Uh, gosh, where was it? People in Delaware. They yeah. would incorporate in Delaware because the laws are more favorable. Maybe now it's Texas. But, um, Tim, I, I, I think you've called him before. This is probably the, the most wildest company I think you've called in about. So uh, <laughs> if you want to gamble again, I guess you can do it, but I wouldn't recommend it. All righty? No, I stay away from the ones that you tell me are way too much of a gamble, and I do just take my money up to Vegas and get my free drink. There you go. And then, you know, then what happens? You get your free drinks, you're drunk, you don't realize how much money you lost. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) you wake up the next morning. (laughs) Oh, look at the bank account. That's no fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, enjoy your Saturday. I'll talk to you soon. You too, Tim. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And I was going to say, Chase, you have anything on Facebook, but we had a problem hooking up Facebook this morning. So Somebody is on the, the radio side trying to get a Facebook. It, it's not working this morning. Yeah, so, yeah. technical some, difficulties. Yeah, we had a few a few this morning. Already, let's talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Wants to talk about the new tax law, I believe. Harrison, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, guys. I'm uh, calling in from Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm at a bachelor party right now. Uh, well, well, me. Now, now, wait. You're at a bachelor party. Now, this cannot be the most fun you're having at a bachelor <laughs> party being on radio talking about taxes. <laughs> well, Chase uh, called me this morning. I was like, oh, I forgot it's Saturday. I got a call. <laughs> well, 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 I hope the bachelor party improves from here. But uh, tell us about the, the tax situation because there's a lot of things in the air that are kind of concerning people. So, what do you got to say about this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is something that we've been watching all year long because we know that there's going to be probably some legislative changes um, in the tax code uh, coming up. So this last week, we got some more information about what that could be. So one of the things um, I would I would say that none of this is really a surprise. It's been talked about, but they've kind of narrowed down where they're targeting. So one of the things is um, a higher top tax rate. So currently, um, the top ordinary tax rate is 37%. They want to increase that to 39.6. So that's a 2.6% increase. Um, so a little bit increase there. That's what it was before it got reduced to 37 uh, starting in 2018. Um, this, however, would not kick in until taxable income of around 523000 for a single filer or 628000 for a married filer. So it's the high-income people that they're going after here. Um, so that's one of them. Another one, we could see some changes in capital gains. So currently, the top capital gain rate is 23.8% when you include the Medicare surcharge tax. Um, and so what they want to do is for people with income over a million dollars, have that tax at ordinary income rates, which will probably also still include that surcharge tax. So that would be a top rate of 43.4%, so almost doubling uh, what the current capital gain tax rate. So that's one that a lot of people are worried about, but again, it's just income above a million dollars. So some people, or a lot of people would be able to avoid that. Another one that has... 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you just brought up the thing I was going to say is is that when you say high-income people, I'm glad you defined high-income people because I, I was going to say this really affects most people with incomes above $1 million, uh, and that's very important because uh, we went through our clients to see how many clients are above a $1 million, and we'll be doing something maybe a little bit different for them, but so important to understand, don't get too upset about this if you're making, I don't know, 150000 a year maybe. I will say, too, uh, yeah. you said the, the top rate's what, 43.4%? What would you say the top rate was, Harrison? Yeah, that's or that's what it would go to, 43.4. That's what it would go to. And then, you know, in our, our state of California here, uh, they've talked about 16.6% would be the top rate. So you're looking at a tax rate over 60%. Um, and I know we talked about it as well, Harrison, was the people that this could really hurt is people with small businesses. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point because what will happen if only something like that gets implemented is people will just not sell assets. Uh, they'll hold on to everything to avoid realizing those gains. Because this is just on gains, and you don't have that tax until you realize it. So if you have businesses, you have a lot of stock, uh, and you're high income, you'll just continue to hold on to it. So from the tax code perspective, if taxes go up too high on the capital gains level, that could actually reduce tax income, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, that will reduce the taxes that the government is able to collect because people will just decide not to sell anything at all. So if something like that were to go in place, it would probably also have to be implemented with that elimination of the step up in basis. So this is another people, another thing people are concerned about, uh, because essentially what that would do is if you try to avoid the capital gains by just never selling, well, then when you die, then the taxes would be um, levied against your estate and everything would be realized and you'd have to pay taxes at that point. That's what I think I'm most concerned about is the step up in basis. I mean, there's that affects people with real estate, with stocks. I mean, farms. I know people talk about that one as well. Small businesses. I mean, I, I yeah, that's one that one I'm most concerned about. Actually, yeah, on to that point, I thought it was actually interesting because one of the things they talked about this last week was putting an exemption on that for family businesses and farms. So if you have a family business or a farm and the family continues to run that after your death, then that could potentially be excluded from that step-up in basis realization event. So um, hopefully if something like this does go into place, that that is, that is available because I think this could really hurt a lot of families, uh, a lot of farms, and I just don't think it'd be good overall for our, our country. Yeah, a lot of things. And, and, and there are things I don't think will come on through and we kind of look at this on trying to be prepared a little bit, but I wouldn't get too excited about it because... That's another good point, yeah. I think a lot of this stuff potentially will not make it through. The, the administration is trying to do so much with their infrastructure plan, this tax plan, COVID stuff. Uh, there's so much, so a lot of it I don't think will actually make it through. And, and I do think sometimes the media does hype things, and it's possible, but they said, oh, this could be retroactive for 2021, which would be terrible because you had no time to plan for it. But I, I, I just don't think that's coming through. And I, I could be wrong. I mean, it's possible, but, you know, it's possible that we get snow here in San Diego as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happened before, right? Uh, Years ago. I think, it, I think you're right. I think it did. So maybe, well, and again, that's what I mean. It's a possibility, but it's like a, you know, slight possibility. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's good to know about it, but don't get it too emotional about it. Because then you start making yeah. poor decisions, and and I, I think people, oh, I'm going to sell all my stocks. Be like, no, don't 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 sell all your stocks unless they're overpriced. Right, yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. Did, did, I, did you have one more point there, Harrison? I'm sorry, I kind of interrupted you there. Do you have one more point? Um, 
Not necessarily. I mean, the whole idea is we want to make wealthy people pay their fair share and target rich people and all that. But uh, if a lot of these things make it through, you're going to see families, middle-income families, that pay absolutely no federal tax with all the child credits and mm-hmm. you know the, all the breaks that they're getting. So it's really going to be only wealthy people are going to be paying tax and nobody else. <laughs> yeah, and, and the other thing, too, that people, politicians, just irritates me. Do they think that the wealthy people are going to do the same amount of sales they did before? And, it's had, and Wall Street Journal is a great article saying that it's been proven that doesn't happen, that when you raise the capital gains tax, well, people say, well, now I'm not going to sell. So it's possible yeah, exactly. that the government could get less money because before they were getting you know, the 20% of the capital gains. Well, now you try to get, we'll call it 43%, boom, I'm not going to sell. And the, the revenues could actually go down not up. So that's one thing that the government and many people just aren't very smart about. Well, because you look at your returns, it's like, gosh, well, I do all this great investing and my returns are now like 3% per year because I had to pay all this tax. You know, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it limits your overall return. You got to look at after tax return. You can't look at pre-tax returns because, well, might as well just leave it in the bank at this point. Right. And, and we have uh, other other strategies that we would use to actually help that somewhat we can't eliminate but we have other strategies that are in the back of our toolbox we'll call it yeah that that does go through okay well we're going to do this for our clients with a million dollars more of yeah. income so and again with your help harrison you can actually help people also as financial planner get through this crazy tax situation something's going to come through we just don't know where or when so that's right <laughs> all right we'll, we'll go have uh, a beer maybe <laughs> one or two <laughs> but have a great time we'll see you monday at the office all right, sounds good, guys. See you on Monday. All right, sounds good. Bye-bye. All right, again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner from Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, give him a call at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. He is in the phone tree. Or you can go to the website, uh, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. All right, phone number's here, 866 577 Two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And Chase, I want to talk about that workshop coming up on May twentieth again uh, at Ale Smith Brewery. We had a great time last time. People learned a lot. Uh, it was just a a good workshop. And we talk about things to really help you understand. We talk about the craziness of stocks. We talk about the taxes. We talk about all these things. Well, it's like the radio show. And if you're saying, "Well, I'm not sure what they're talking about." The workshop helps you understand more about the investing that we do and how we help our clients and what I've been doing for 42 years here investing. And I just got to say, I'm so excited. We get to do another one in person. (laughs) Our last one was the first one in person that we've done since February of 2020. So it was more than a year. And we're excited to do another one. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking maybe we'll get a better turnout this time because – vaccinations are going yep. up. We're, we're seeing a, a lot of improvement there, and I think a lot of people are feeling good. I go to restaurants now. I see a lot of people out there. Um, you know, I think we're going to have a lot of fun at that workshop, so yeah. it'll be and, a good time. And I was at the ball game last night, and um, I I don't know if I should say this, but too late. I, kinda, I don't think it's 25% capacity. There was a lot of people there. Um, but I, the, I heard they're not as strict on like monitoring the upper areas i don't know if the upper areas <laughs> looked 
That, and they might be 25% capacity, but it might all be <laughs> down in that lower area. Well, and, and, and that's exactly what I was going to say because you're, you're right. When you looked up, there's like not many people up there, but down below, there's a lot of people there. So, But I still think it was – maybe they raised it to 50% capacity because it did not look – very empty, and it was just, but on the other side, it was great to go out to the ball game, watch the ball game. I, I was going to have a hot dog and I had a hamburger instead, but it was just great to to be there and and, and you know be some cracker bed. jacks. I didn't have any cracker. I, don't like cracker jacks. <laughs> no. I, I used to get them just for the toy when I was little, and yeah. like my dad said, "No, we're not going to buy those anymore." <laughs> he only wants a toy. <laughs> so, but uh, no, it's going to be great to see that things are coming back together. And point being is we're, we're excited to be back, and you know we, you've done those workshops for gosh, it makes you sound old here, but decades. <laughs> yeah, gosh, yeah, it has been decades. Yeah, yeah, and so so if you want to attend the workshop, because again, I, I and I've never had anybody come to the workshop and say I didn't ever learn anything. People always say like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It was great. So if you want to come to the workshop, it is free. It's going to be May twentieth at six o'clock at Ale Smith Brewery, right off of Miramar Road. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, or call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Ask for Brianna, or actually on the phone tree, you'll find Brianna. And uh, she'll get you signed up, and we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, going to be a good time. <clears throat> All righty. What time is it? It's about 10 till 9. We've got time for calls. So let's head up to Cardiff and speak with Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. Um, and hey, Brent, it does snow in San Diego County, that is. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, ask you guys' opinion on Qualcomm. I've owned it for years and just wondering where it's at on your radar, if it's time to sell or keep and hold it for a little bit longer. Thank you, guys. Sure, sure. I'm so glad you called about this one because I see it go across a ticker. We, we made money off of Qualcomm in the past. Uh, we do not hold hold it currently, but I, I, I kind of wonder, like, what is the values on this? So, so Jeff, I'm so glad you called because I, I, I've been wanting to look at Qualcomm and not had the time. Coming up, we're looking at is Qualcomm, symbol is QCOM. Good start here. P.E. ratio 19.9 versus 36.7. Price of sales, though, is expensive, 5.3 versus 3.6. Price of book value is not material, but that is the same as the industry. And then price to cash flow sixteen point five, just slightly higher than the industry at fifteen point nine. Now we do see that they pay a one point nine percent dividend, use thirty seven percent of their earnings to pay that out. Here's some great news. Their sales are up forty seven percent year over year. The industry is down point nine, and earnings per share for Qualcomm did climb by one hundred and seven. Uh, the industry fell by seventeen percent for so good news for Qualcomm. Uh, the next thing is very disappointing to me. Their, their balance sheet, now they have a current ratio of two that is better than the industry at 1.8, but I don't know when they took on all this debt. Their debt to equity now is 212. I mean, they used to be like a low-debt company. I, I don't know what happened, but I do not like high-debt companies, and uh, and I, I don't know if they're using a buyback stock. Gosh, I hope that's not the case. I think I think they bought back a lot of stock. Really? I, I remember them talking about stock buyback programs and so forth. But uh, like you said, I haven't followed in a couple of years, but um, and that, that's my yeah, and that, inclination that, there. That's one thing you want, you want to look into with this company because, well, one, I don't like the high debt. But I, I really despise, I hate when companies borrow money to buy back their stock at perhaps inflated prices. So... Uh, check that out there because that could be a definite concern. 
Now, also strange here, return equity 153 versus 15.5. That could be because of the fact they have bought a lot of stock back, so therefore they have low equity. We do see net profit margin 27.3 versus 9.8 for the industry. That's a positive. Receivable turnover is 9.2 versus 5.2. That's a positive, along with inventory turnover. Well, that's only 5.4, not quite as good as the industry at 5.9. Jace, what about the earnings going forward? Um, yeah, so looking at the, the current price for Qualcomm, it is $138.80. 52-week high is $167.94, and 52-week low, well, that's $74.09. Now I got to September 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $8.54. Would give us a target sell price of $141.76. So it appears to be about fairly valued at did eclipse that when it hit its 52-week high. But I will point out, I, I, I don't know if this is from stock buybacks or, or right. where their earnings growth is coming from, but if you look at September 2019, they made $3.54. If you look at September 2020, they made $4.19. Then this year, they're estimated to make $7.75 per share, and I said next year, $8.54. I mean, that is phenomenal earnings, right? right. I, I'm not going to knock that. I don't know if that's coming from stock buybacks or where that's coming from. But I, I'm shocked you look at a company like AMD. They have similar growth, and they're trading at way, way higher than multiple. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, Qualcomm, as I said, target sell price, 141.76. have to look a little closer to the balance sheet, but um, it may be a hold for you until it hits the target sell price. Yeah, and I think you want to try to understand why do those earnings go up by well, almost a double there. That's pretty amazing to me. So uh, that's something I want to understand. But I, I, I don't like, again, the, the high debt that they have. That, that, that does concern me. But again, I think it could be because they have low equity. But still, I th- th- there's I, and I was hoping to be a little more excited about this. Like, yes, maybe we can look at buying this. But no, it's more of looking at should you be selling this one. So I'd, I'd have to say, give the answer to those questions, and it could come up with a sell. Yeah. So <laughs> you looking out the window? Is I'm it? just looking at the the screener. Oh, can you see the screener from there? Yeah. Oh, I, I can't see it because I got to turn around every time yeah. I see it. Jeff, does that answer your question? It sure does. Thank you, gentlemen. I I do uh, appreciate your feedback. I enjoy the show every Saturday, and I think I'm going to hit you up and uh, get in touch with Harrison soon. So thanks, gentlemen. Have a great day and weekend. Well, that sounds good. We're looking forward to it. Have a good one. <clears throat> you know, we we got a few minutes here till till break, but you know, looking at Qualcomm and when you're talking about stock buybacks and companies borrowing stock, and we haven't really had this conversation. I thought it'd be uh, interesting to have. I almost think that right now, if your stock is fairly priced, to buy back stock and borrow money, I'm not saying go to 500% right. debt to equity, <clears throat> but it makes a lot more sense to do it right now when interest rates are so low. And especially if your stock is like trading at 10 times earnings, I'd say if you have no debt on the balance sheet, I think it almost makes sense to borrow money to buy back stock. Uh, and I think the key word is if you're at 10 times earnings. Yeah. And, and that's the hard part. I mean, we are looking for businesses to buy. It's very hard to find them now. There's not a lot of companies, I think, would qualify that earnings. But yeah. you, you do make a good point because I am totally against them buying or, or borrowing to buy back stock. But if your return on equity is, is, is higher and you're only paying, we'll say, 2 or 3% to borrow, it could make. And, again, that's that's why there's no – rule of thumbs in investing. You've got to look at everything and understand everything because there's times that, again, you've made a good point that rates are low. Maybe it does make sense. But I, with Qualcomm being a target sell price around 140, yeah. uh, and their PE looks okay at 20, uh, 
yeah. I guess it depends where they bought back the stock, though. If they bought yeah. it back at like $80 a share, well, it looks like a pretty darn good investment now. Well, unfortunately, a lot of companies do that to boost the share yeah. price. Oh, we're buying back, you know, a yeah. billion dollars here. and a bill. Oh, let's buy more because we're going to buy it back. And it's, it, it doesn't make financial sense because there's been many companies in the past. You look at them. Uh, I think of IBM comes to mind where they did a lot of financial yeah. engineering before buying back the stock at high prices. And it made no sense. And we've seen other companies. I, wasn't it Gilead was one that we owned? We, yeah. we did sell at a good price. But I do believe they bought a lot of their stock back at high prices, and it's still not back at that yeah. price yet. Yeah, that no, was a terrible investment. And I mean, I think I know Netflix I think, announced a stock buyback. I yeah. think that's right. trading at what I forget what they traded at right. somewhere like seventy times earnings. Where I I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, and it, it is a terrible investment when you actually pay more for your stock than it's worth, um, and you you're doing it just because. And they may say, "Well, we're not we're not what's to say we're not financial advisors." But you are helping people or understand that, hey, we think our stock's a good buy. It's kind of like a, a thing that if you're going to say we're going to buy it back, you think it's a good buy. you know. And, it, and, and it, if you have a lot of cash, maybe there's other things you should be doing. Maybe you should be buying another another business. You know? Well, I've talked about this before, but if you trade at lofty valuations, <clears throat> what should be occurring is your growth rate for the business should be you know, 20 25%. I mean, you should have high growth to justify – your valuation right well if you're taking cash you should have better investment opportunities to grow rather than buy back your stock yeah yeah and and sometimes maybe patient you know i mean we're patient right now to to invest i think many times businesses should be patient to invest and and if the executives are not and they just want to like well we got all this cash we got to do something with it or we don't miss this and so forth uh that's a that's a company i would not want to be invested into yep so i i like i like executives that are very methodical, uh, look at things, not just get pulled into the hype. Um, you, you really got to look at who the management team is. So, yeah, now that, that's where the conference calls come in. You can learn a lot more about what's going on. They'll, they'll talk about, we. I mean, we've read conference calls where management says, you know, we think our stock is just the best opportunity right now to do with our cash. Yeah. So you, you kind of find out, you hear from the management. That's why we love the conference calls so much. Yeah. Uh, phone number is 866-577-2473. we got our break coming up. I do see David in San Diego. Uh, I believe that is H-U-N is... I think it's Huntsman. Or, I think it's Huntsman is the... Huntsman? Is well, well, we'll find out. Well, David, you're going to be up uh, when you come back from the break. Same thing, Brad in San Diego wants to talk about Apple. We'll talk about Apple. I'd like to do that because now we have new earnings from Apple. Uh, which they did phenomenally well. So we'll see. We'll, hopefully we've got numbers going forward from the analysts, see what they say. It'll give us a chance to talk more about Apple as well. Again, the phone number is 866-577-2473. You've got a document you want to talk about. We'll do that for you. And HUN, I don't want to give it all away for you, David, but it is Huntsman Corporation. I know it's a chemical it company. So Yeah, I, I was thinking of Huntington or something. but Honeywell? Honeywell, that's what it was. Honeywell. I think they're H-O-N. I think. H-O-N, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, on the workshop, well, we don't have time to talk about that now. We'll talk about the workshop when we come back because this is something you don't want to miss. It's going to be May 20th at 6 o'clock at Alesmith Brewery. You want to learn about investing. You want to see what we do. That's when you want to go to the workshop. And we now, and it's going to be live, in person, like yeah. the old days. And we've got a whole other hour, too, to take your calls yep. and, and make sure we're answering questions that you have. Again, your calls do come first. Always give you that no strings attached, unbiased. I've made it backwards. Unbiased, <laughs> no strings attached. <laughs> Fundamental opinion 
about what you want to talk about. There we go. You're taking your calls, questions about stocks, questions about you know taxes, financials, whatever it might be. We're here to help you out. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Join the new and improved K-Praise Fan Club at kprz.com. And don't forget the K-Praise app. It's free in the Google Play Store and Apple Store. Subscribe to become a member today by visiting kprz.com. It's that easy. KPRZ, San Marcos, Poway, and K29CR, Encinitas. K-Praise. Alrighty, welcome back to my Investing Show. Gosh, just a quick, uh, quick break here. But uh, phone number is eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And Chase, I think we teased on the workshop, but didn't tell people how to sign up. What you can do if you want to attend the workshop on Thursday, May twentieth, uh, at six o'clock at Alesmith Brewery. Go to our website, Smart Investing Two Thousand. Dot com that's smart investing 2000.com or call the office 858 546 4306 that's 858 546 4306 Brianna she get just signed up and we look forward to seeing you on May 20th at Alesmith Brewery 6 o'clock great time great information they got great food there for you and they also have beer great beer great beer as well yeah, and I'll uh, probably have a beer with uh, some people after the workshop. We did that uh, last time. Yeah, it was, yep. was kind of fun and just kind of had beer and had some food and it was great. Yep. We closed the place down, I think. <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> Don't get too excited. They closed at what, nine? nine. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Let's go back out to uh, San Diego as promised and uh, speak with David. David, you're in the Smart Vegetable Bread. Chase, how can we help you? Hi, guys. I always enjoy your show. Uh, I was looking at uh, Huntsman. I own it. My cost per share is uh, about $9 and change. But uh, one site had the PE as six point something. Another had it at 25. So uh, what the heck is going on with that? What was the site that had it at six something? Because I, I, I do see the 25. Uh, what's the site that had it at six? Uh, I I can't remember. It was something on my phone, so uh, hmm. uh, pulled it up, and I thought, holy mackerel, six. I don't remember it being that low. Right. I, I mean, six, we'd be all excited. We'd be saying, hey, we want to buy this company. So I, I think six could have been an error. Sometimes we have seen. See, uh, Yahoo Finance has it at six. They do. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go through because you're going to look at the earnings. Um, I'm going to go through the numbers, so that is kind of a strange thing. So. So what I'm going to look at here is Hutzman Corporation, symbols H-U-N. As we said, the P-E ratio is 25, which is better than the industry at 37. Price of sales, 1.1 versus 2.7. That is good. Price of book value, very good, 2.5 versus 
And then price of cash flow is 11.1. That, too, is below the industry. at 16.1. So valuation ratios look pretty good for Huntsman here. We do see the uh, dividend yield is 2.6%. Currently, they use 56% of their earnings to pay that out. Now, unfortunately, year-over-year sales are down 11.5%, which is not as good or worse than the industry decline of 5.8%. Same thing with the earnings, down 33.5%. The, earning, the industry saw earnings gain of uh, 23%. Balance sheet for Huntsman does look good. Got a current ratio of 1.8 versus 1.6. Debt to equity is 61 versus 81. That is a positive. Return on equity, 8.4. Not as good as the industry at 12.5. And we usually like to see somewhere around 15 for return on equity. Net profit margin, 4.8. Also below the industry at 7.3. Receivable turnover, 6.5. Better than the industry at 6.3. Inventory turnover the last 12 months, well, that's 5.6. About the same as the industry at 5.6. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Huntsman Corporation. Well, that's $28.67. Near its 52-week high of $29.79. And well off the 52-week low of $13.86. Now, I did a little digging here, and I, I think I see why the PEs can be different in different places. The non-GAAP earnings were $0.98. Cents for 2020. Right. I, I'm kind of surprised by that because the gap earnings were $4.66. Most of the time I feel like it's reversed, reversed yeah. where uh, Yahoo will pull the non-gap earnings for the PE ratio. So a little bit surprised by that, but my guess is maybe they had some sales of um, a business or another thing. I wonder if they hold oil on the balance sheet where they might have written things up or yeah. there might have been something going on there. But uh, you know, my best guess is that was not from true operations right. to have that differential. <laughs> and if it was, that would have been included in the company's non-GAAP earnings. I, I can bet you that. And I do believe that Yahoo does use non-GAAP performa uh, type numbers where Reuters, I do believe, uses GAAP most of the time. But that's the weird thing. Right. Is it, the GAAP is higher than the non-GAAP here. Right, right. And I think Reuters is using, well, they'd be using the non-GAAP. Here, yeah, right? so that's that weird. Reuters. That is yeah. weird. But uh, I guess we know where the, the 6 versus 25 is coming right. from. It's just weird that the valuations are a little bit different. And that's where, of course, coming in and understanding the P.E. ratio is so important because a lot of yep. times companies can back things out. We want to understand the, the P.E. there. But to give you an answer on that target sell price going forward, I do see in 2022 the company's estimate to make $2.56. Would give us a target sell price of $42.50. So that looks good. I like chemical companies. I think they're mm-hmm. you know, an important part of society. I do wonder how oil is going to impact this company, though. Yeah, because that, that, that can be a factor in, in uh, chemicals, uh, the use of petroleum. Uh, but but I would want to understand, David, more about the, those numbers and why the, the big change from GAP to non-GAP, because was it a sale of a building or a business or something? That would be almost non-eventful, even that lower PE. Uh, the 25 would be more like the real PE. But it, it, it's just, and I think it, percentage-wise, uh, what does it make up on your portfolio? Oh, uh, less than 1%. Okay, okay. Because so, you said you, you owned it a, a while, the lower price. I just thought that maybe uh, you had a bigger percent. But um, I, I'm kind of confused on it, I'll put it that way. Um, I almost want to like it because of the low PE, but I would want to look at more on why the big gain on the gap side. On the gap side, and uh, the oil is a big question for yeah. me. <clears throat> Also, it is near its 52-week high, so I, you already hold it, but if somebody's looking at buying it, I, I would be patient on a yeah. buy-side type um, acquisition there. But, yeah, there's, there's just some questions that I have on it. I mean, the numbers look good, but 
Um, and, and, and it's a chemical company. What type of chemicals do they have? Do we know? Did you look uh, at it? Uh, primarily uh, paint. Paint. And, uh, you know, for the chemicals that go into for the different colors of paints and things like that. So it's kind of a, wouldn't say a unique business, but uh, uh, I don't think they, uh, it's not like a Dow or anything like that. Yeah. I don't think they're into gardening stuff and that kind of chemicals. Yeah, so, so paint, and paint is one that I think about. It's probably doing very well because of the uh, remodel, rebuild, we'll call it, uh, in the economy, which we think could maybe slow down a little bit. As the summer, people say, well, I'm not going to put that new porch on the house. I'm going to go to Hawaii. Yeah. So that would, one thing kind of worry me that maybe you'll see the paint sales uh, dry up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. righty, David. Oh, okay. Thanks for the info, and uh, best of luck to you. Well, thank you, and you have a great weekend. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. Let's head out to San Diego and speak with Brad. Brad, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, Brent. Brad Schumann. Hope you're doing well. Good. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. I had a question about Apple. Um, with the great earnings that came out, stock is a little flat right now. What's your take and your opinion on Apple? And do you have a target price for them? Yeah, and I'm glad you called about this, Brad, because I know they had great earnings. Uh, when are they? Thursday, I think they came out. I think their profits were up. Was that 80%? I think it was. It was something. There's so yeah. many, yeah. Yeah, it's just phenomenal earnings. And and I do I do see that, Reuters, we do have the new information for March 27th. So, so we've got new numbers here. So let me kind of run through the numbers here and see what we can come up with. Again, the company is Apple, symbols AAPL. We do see a P.E. ratio of 29.5 versus 36.7, so that's a positive being below the industry. Price of sales, 6.8 versus 3.6. That's a negative being higher than the industry. Price of book value, 32 versus not material. And price of cash flow is also expensive at 25.3 versus 15.9. Now, because of the huge increase in the stock price, their dividend yield is now only 0.7%. I think at one point it was about 2% yield. It's now fallen because of the rise in the stock price down to 0.7. And they only use 18.6% earnings to pay that out. So they could increase that if they wanted to. We do see sales were up 21.4%, industry down 0.9. Earnings per share year over year for the last 12 months were up 39.7. Industry was down 17.5. The balance sheet is looking a little bit tired here. I'll put it that way. Uh, current ratio 1.1 below the industry at 1.8, and debt to equity for Apple is now 180 versus 72. So that's kind of high on the high side. I don't like things above 120. We do see return on equity is a 103 versus 15.5. I think that that's because they have a really low equity. I think they bought a lot of stock back, reducing their equity quite a bit. Net profit margin 23.5 versus 9.9. That's a positive. We see we'll turn over 19 versus 5, very good there. And then inventory turnover, 46, well above the industry at 5.9. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Apple, well, that's $131.46. 52-week high, that's $145.09. And then the 52-week low is $71.46. I go out to September 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.26. 
would give us a target sell price of $87.32. So I know Apple's, it's gotten expensive. I mean, it had a phenomenal, gosh, I'm blanking if it was 2019, 2020, um, but it just had like a boom year and a half or so where I think it just got a little bit too far ahead of itself. And again, you can report great earnings, but if everybody's already expecting great earnings, well, yeah. everybody's already expecting yeah. it. And the other thing I will point out on Apple that does concern me is I saw they had kind of a negative ruling over in Europe on their app store. And I know here in the United States, they're kind of going after them for the same issues as well, that they're kind of running a monopoly essentially on that app store, which could be problematic because that's where a lot of their potential growth is coming from is that service revenue. Yeah, I, I, I see Apple having a, a much hard time growing much beyond this. It, it's a, a great business, but it's very pricey. Um, their equity has fallen from $78 billion down to $69 billion. In part because their debt's gone up about $11 billion from $110 billion to $121 billion. So, I know they've bought back a lot of stock, though, so I think that's coming from that. And if you look at the book value per share, it's probably – And that's kind of crazy because they, they do have you know cash on the balance sheet. Uh, they do have about $69 billion, which is down from $94 billion. But they do – you really want to look at their long-term investments because they include that in the cash. That is now $134 billion, up from $98 billion. But I think I, they announced like a $90 billion stock buyback plan too. But they did. But I, the point I'm trying to make is that I think they use like us. We're not having everything in cash. We're not using cash equivalents. I think on their long-term investments, that could be part of what they're doing as well, trying to get some type of at least a 1% yield versus yeah. sitting in cash. So, well, if they leave it overseas, that's still also yeah. a long-term investment, not a cash. True. You True. said their target price is $87? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It, it's just expensive. It's very, very pricey. And and, and, okay. the, and the problem with Apple is that it is a great company. Everybody loves it, and that is what creates the, the premium on the stock. That will not stay there uh-huh. forever. And could it go on Monday? Perhaps. Could it be here a year from now? Perhaps. But it's just not – it's one that we would not hold because we are conservative. We don't like to hold things overpriced because sooner or later it will drop. Uh, Brad, how much percentage-wise is, is it in your portfolio? About uh, 3%. Oh, Okay, so I mean, if it were to drop, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt you. But I mean, if we were managing right. the money, we would, yeah, we would not be an Apple. It's just, it's just too expensive for our uh, philosophy that we use. So, and we've actually, right. I, almost, I almost got in trouble with the SEC. I was going to tell what our performance was, <laughs> and I can't do that in there. So, uh, but a- anyways, it's, it's, you can do well without Apple, and I'm just concerned that that I've, it always happens when something's overpriced. One or two things happens. Yeah. It either falls in price yeah. by you know, 20, 30, 40, 50%, or for years, it will not grow. And you could be sitting here five well, years from now, and the stock is still at 120, 130. Right. I mean, with, the, with your, what you're saying on a target price of 87, it's at a 131 now. That's a uh, large decline. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily, as Brent said, mean it's going to drop down to 80, $87 a share. It, it just tells us that it's overvalued and, and things can trade at, you know, 20, 22 times earnings for, for years. It, it just, could it expand to 30 times earnings? I don't see that as, as a likely probability. I mean, it, it could happen, but uh, I think it's much more likely that it trades sideways or falls than it increases a hundred percent over the next five years. And, and also too, Apple okay. is one of the high tech companies that they're saying will have difficulty as rates rise, and you see it when the ten-year Treasury goes up, Apple, Netflix, um, Amazon—they they all drop. Uh, and, and if rates were to go from, we'll say, in the next two years, from two percent to three percent, perhaps Apple could be trading at eighty dollars a share. Then, so yeah. it's, it's very pricey. Okay. Already, okay. Hey, one more question. Sure. 
Okay, why? W-Y. W-Y. Yeah, way higher. With the infrastructure, American Jobs Plan that our president is proposing, I'm thinking that the uh, steel and copper and aluminum and wood are going to be industries that are really going to excel in the near future. What's your take on that one? Yeah, just conceptually, because we've got other calls waiting, but conceptually, <clears throat> a lot of this is already built into it. When we look at it, and actually the housing market, we talked about this before, uh, lumber is up from like, I think yes. 400% or something. Yeah, 400, 500%. <laughs> so I think that's already right. built into it. Same thing with steel. And we saw the infrastructure bill, a lot of it is not going to be for building, it's going to be for other things as well. So you may not get as much steel. Uh, uses that you want there. And they, they, these companies are not on sale. They're trying to buy them like a year ago. Yeah, I'm going to say too, Brad, if you want us to actually break that down, um, look at the numbers closer, give us a call next week. As Brent said, we do have other callers, but uh, it could be an interesting one. So maybe give us a call next week and we'll have time to break that down for you. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, I'll talk to Harrison or one of you. All right, sounds good. Have a good one, Brad. Okay, thanks, Brent. Take care. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. And I was going to say, too, I was just thinking um, on Apple, I remember looking at it uh, like last year. But if you looked at their net income growth, it wasn't very good. A lot of their growth on the earnings per share has actually come from stock buybacks. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And it's so weird with Apple, too. For years, it traded at like 12, 13, 14 times. Oh, it's just an iPhone company. It's too cyclical. And now all of a sudden, trades at, gosh, I, I don't know what it, <clears> but it, at one point, I know it was trading around like 30 times earnings. I mean, yeah. it's it's crazy how the market can shift, but the scary thing is it can shift back to, you know, maybe in a couple of years that, well, Apple, 50% of the revenue right. still comes from iPhones, so <laughs> they're, they're going to trade at 12 times. Great, we'll buy them back. You know? and, and companies do falter somewhat. Yeah. They, they, they fall out of favor. And, and it's funny, we, we went to uh, dinner on Wednesday night with a, with a, a good a couple of friends of ours, and um, they were taking pictures like, wow, is that the new iPhone 12? The pictures are great. They go, no. Samson. I go, really? You know, so I mean, there is competition out there yeah. and it, it can change. I mean, at one point, Intel overshadowed AMD by a large margin. And look what AMD has done over time. Yeah. So I, I, and I know those, there's other phone companies out there besides uh, Samson, but, but still in all, I mean, everybody wants that share of the market and they may come out with something better than what Apple has. And, you know, and I, people know we're not big fans of Tesla, but I give Elon <laughs> Musk credit for, creating a car company and i mean yeah. you go back what 15 20 years ago nobody had really started a successful car company in decades right and you know you never know could there be a tesla in the iphone market that right. comes in and steals share it's yeah. a possibility yeah i mean you, you you're not top of the hill forever and, yeah. and that's what worries me and when things are kind of pricey and apple could do well for the next 12 24 months but sooner or later and, and the thing too that that people don't look at we've talked about this we, we sold a company i think it was last year we sold at a good price. I think it's slightly higher now. Like, oh, you sold too early. But from those proceeds, we took that money and bought another company that's done extremely well, far outperforming what we would have done had we held on to that company. Also, too, what happens if all of a sudden we don't need phones anymore and it's like a, an earpiece and you just all of a sudden can, hey, call this person. Great. Right. You're good to go. We don't need a phone anymore. And I, I, think, I think that I, I've heard that that's going to happen. And the thing is, will Apple be the one? Or will it be somebody else who we've not even heard of yet yeah. that comes out with that? So the, things that's, change is the, yeah. the tough part. Yeah. yeah. So uh, never overpay for, uh, for a company, uh, which includes holding on to a company that's overpaid. And I, I'll never forget, early in my career, the guy came up with this philosophy. I don't know if he heard it from somebody else. But he goes, 
if you wouldn't buy it now, why are you holding it? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, and a lot of people say, oh, I would never buy it now. But you hold it yeah. and sell it and buy something less <laughs> expensive. And, you know, so, all righty, phone number is 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Tony. Tony, you're on the Smart Investor Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hey guys, um, um, just love the conversation today. Uh, real quick on on Apple, my my investment club held it many many years, and um, when you talk about kind of certain things in the news, when they transitioned from Steve Jobs to to Cook as a CEO, you know there was a lot of angst in, in the in the news. Oh well, it's the, you know their innovative days ended. We are so glad we didn't listen to that. I mean, we've <laughs> right. made a ton of money off of that Apple stock. So, um, anyways, and we do still monitor it. Uh, we we took our initial, you know, investment out of it, and we've just let the profits run. And so we, we're really glad we we've done that. Um, and, and uh, I, I actually called to uh, see oh, well, and well, 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 Tony, real quick on ahead. Apple. I was going to say back mm-hmm. at that point in time too, uh, Apple stock was a value stock. Yeah, it is now a growth stock, mm-hmm. so it has changed. It has transitioned. So. Uh, yeah, big change. There. Well, yeah. I, yes and no. It was uh, in that Cook in the Jobs years. It was really, um, you know, toward the tail end. Once they came out with the, uh, you know, the music and all the other, you know, um, they were no longer just a computer company. They really took off as a growth stock. But um, oh, in the early just, years, you're right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, but uh, yeah, well, there's really, an interesting point in time where they were they, growth and value too. Yeah. I, it was interesting that they, mm-hmm. they did fit kind of the mold for both and. I mean, they were a value company because they traded at low valuations. I remember we held it for years and uh, same time with right. Tim Cook and Steve Jobs. And it was, oh, my gosh. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, they have the products. All Tim <laughs> Cook has to do is not mess it up, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, luckily, they, they've continued to, to innovate. And so will they, um, you know, maintain that culture after Cook, you know, when, you know, whoever his successor is. You know, yeah, that's, that's how, how old is Tim always. Cook? I wonder what his uh, tenure is going to be here. I don't know that, but I'm guessing another four or five years, you know, but that's just a guess. 60 on the dot. 60 on the dot. Okay. <laughs> He's still a young man because I'm 65, so I'm going to call him young. <laughs> there you go. There you go, guys. I love it. Um, so, so, Tony, how can we help you there? I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no worries, guys. I, I really do enjoy the conversation. Listen um, frequently nowadays. Um, so, uh, Chase's stock uh, from his youth, Glam Research, um, it, it, it uh, Recently reported um, record quarterly results, and I know I, I talked to you guys some months back about this one, and, and I just kind of wanted to get a sense from how much weight or emphasis do you look at quarterly reports as opposed to, and I know you look at both, but when I look at this one, um, you know, record revenues, record earnings per share, um, and their current PE, at least in the what I pulled up, is 26 and in that industry, do, do you really consider that too high or overvalued? I know that was our discussion, you know, um, months back. But now with the recent report, the recent data, what, what are your thoughts? Well, well, Tony, let's look at all the numbers here uh, for LAM Research. The symbol is LRCX. And you're correct. The PE ratio is 26.2. But you compare that to the industry, it's up 40.3. So that does look like a bargain compared to the industry. Not the same hold true mm-hmm. for sales. Sales are 6.7 versus 3. Price to book value, 24 versus not material. And price of cash flow is expensive at 25.5 versus 19.4. So you look at all the valuation ratios, well, it's not really the great deal compared to the industry. I do say they pay a 0.8% dividend. They use 21%. They're earnings to pay that out. 
We did see sales are up 38.1%. The industry is down 4.4%. And the earnings per share climbed wow. by 70.3%. Industry down 14.1%. So the company's doing a very good job compared to the industry so far. We're just on the balance sheet. Current ratio 3.1 versus 2.1. That's good. Debt to equity 108 versus 50. Now, I'm okay with 108 debt to equity as long as I see maybe some improvement on cash flow that they are trying to pay down that debt and not just letting it go up and, you know, crazy. And it could be, again, from stock buybacks, reducing the size of the equity. So you got to understand that. Return on equity is 69.8 versus 11.1, which kind of tells me wow. I think their <laughs> equity is kind of low. Uh, we do see net profit margin 26.1 versus 7.4. Receivable turnover 5.3 versus 5.7. And inventory turnover 3.3, not quite as good as the industry 3.6. And I was kind of concerned about the low inventory turnover, but the industry has a low turnover as well. Chase, what are the earnings going forward? There's a current price here for Lamb Research. Well, that's $620.45, 52-week high, $669, and the 52-week low, $229.69. I go out to June 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $32.42. What gives the target sell price of $538.17? Again, that's using our 16.6 multiple, and that that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to fall back to 16.6. I mean, right now it trades at about 19 times future earnings. I'm going to say that's not that bad. I mean, I say it's not that bad because you compare it against the whole stock market. Well, that's not bad. But the problem is we use the long-term average because everything reverts back to the long-term average over time. And right now, Lamb mm-hmm. Research, they're, they're trading at 19 times. But I remember back in my youth days when I bought it, they were trading at around 9, 10 times earnings. Yep. So that's the thing that mm-hmm. is so interesting about investing is things can go from different kind of variables on that PE multiple. I mean, there's going to be times where it's going to trade at 20 times, and other times it's going to fall back down to 10. When it's at that 20 times earnings, though, I'm concerned that, well, is it going to go to 30 times earnings? I don't think so. Yeah. Unlikely that occurs, especially with the prospect of rising rates going forward. And actually, back about 10 years, maybe 15 years ago, I actually did have a target sell price using 20 times earnings mm-hmm. because it was higher. Huh. Now it is lower at 16.6. And, and again, that's like the average. So we know that things will go above and beyond the average. But again, I want to be conservative. So 16.6, we say that that's, that's when we're going to get out. Does not mean the stock will not keep going. But we feel that, okay, let's sell that company at 16.6. Let's, let's now find a company trading at 10 to 12 times earnings and, and do better longer term. Yeah, and and I, when I, you say you're, you're looking for um, 10 to 12 times earnings, uh, man, that's got to be really tough nowadays. And, <laughs> and are you looking at future earnings or current? It's future earnings. Future, yeah. 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 future 10 times future earnings. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So things can change. I mean, I, we always like to look down the road. And I was going to say with Lamb Research, I, I'm quite impressed here. I mean, in 2020, their earnings were $15.95. As I said, next year, they're looking to do 32.42. I mean, that's a 100% increase, essentially, on, on those earnings. That's, that's phenomenal. Um, but, again, I don't want to overpay for things going down the road. And as I said, 16.6, long-term average, yeah, that's what we'll yeah. sell out at. And, and you can actually do pretty well doing that. And, and there are times that we're going to be beat by the market because the market goes crazy, and we understand that. But... I've been doing it, you know, this way for gosh, well over twenty years now. The this way, and look, a few tweaks here and there, but it, it, it just. So it sounds like you you wouldn't buy it now, right? It's not a, a current buy, and and when you were commenting to me earlier, if you wouldn't buy it now, why would you hold it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you, you're holding it. Like what I remember, you know, some of, some of the sayings before is that you make your money when you buy. And we've held it. We've had it for for you know quite some time, several going more than five years now. Mm-hmm. So we've seen that kind. Con- 
you know, we've reaped that meteoric growth, especially in the last year. Uh, it's about 8% of our club's portfolio. Um, but uh, it sounds like at some point, you know, want to shave off some, some, some earnings or some profit and put it into the lower we, PE. I look at it too. You sell it at 620, maybe it goes to 650. But now you have all this cash. We know there's going to be mm-hmm. a pullback. Just can't tell you when. When that pullback mm-hmm. happens, well, this is going to drop. But you're not going to have cash yeah. to step in and buy something else that maybe is at 10 or 12 times earnings. So that's how we always look at this long-term perspective, three to five years. It doesn't mean we'll be right next three to five months, but three to five years. And that's what I look at as my long-term mm-hmm. return is, is very good. But there's times on months to months or six months and sometimes even a year, like, gosh, we didn't do very good. When we look at the long-term time perspective, like, wow, we did, we're very happy with that performance. So that's what you got to look at. And it's very hard because emotionally, <laughs> you've done well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, gosh, it's, it's up 620. Yeah. You know, I don't want to sell it now. And, you know, but, uh, <laughs> and, and kind of investment club is something that's a little bit different as well. Cause you got how, how many people in the investment club? Uh, we have about 12 active members and, um, we, we meet and, you know, it's a group, uh, but, but it's like this, you know, we, we talk about the numbers, we debate, you know, um, um, and it's just so much, you know, it's, it's educational was the intent, but we've made good money along the way, you know? And so, uh, so like what we, you know, talked about this, uh, sometime back, you know, if you can learn while making money, that's the best of it all really worlds. Is. And we have developed great friendships, just really great friendships yeah. over the years. Yeah. Uh, love to invite you to come, uh, speak to us maybe, you know, August, uh, or the fall when things, uh, you know, um, um, somewhat back to normal, you know, when, uh, you guys are uh, up for it. So yeah, give us a call. We, lo- we love to do that. Already? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, always a pleasure. Really, really enjoy the show. All right, Tony. Thank you. Bye bye. You know, I was just kind of thinking during that conversation with Tony about our, our multiple of 16.6. And the thing that we talk about is the rising interest rates. And people are like, oh, well, you know, the, the stock market can trade at a higher multiple now because interest rates are so low. Mm-hmm. And that is true. But the problem is, what happens when interest rates start to go up? <laughs> That's in the future. Yeah. <laughs> like, the interest rates currently, well, now that's all occurred in the past. Now we know interest rates are going to start rising. What's a just multiple there? The multiple is going to have to start to fall as interest rates climb. That's why we just stick to long-term average. You're not going to be able to predict where the interest rates are going. No. It's just not going to be possible. So that's why we use the long-term average. We don't try and predict you know, what's going to happen at that macro-type level. We just know, hey, long-term average, 16.6. Yeah. That's a good multiple. We do have our predictions on what uh, interest rates could be. Like, again, we, we, we thought initially in the beginning of the year that at the end of the year rates would be around 1.5, yeah. 1.6. But we've kind of raised that now to maybe a 2% 10-year treasury because data changes. And that's the other thing, too, that I get so frustrated sometimes with, oh, for the next 20 years, it's going to be this. You don't know what's going to happen 20 years because – Things change. People change and so forth. Did you know COVID was going to happen? <laughs> was that baked <laughs> yeah, into your forecast? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's why it's so important to be flexible and understand and stay on top of stuff. You can't just do it now and say, okay, I'll come back a year later and see what happened. No, you, you're going to miss things. You've got to stay on top of it and be flexible to change with the way things are changing. And that's, that's why I've been doing this for, uh, I think, 42 years now. I still love it. I still get excited because I'm not right all the time. It's very exciting to, to, I don't want to say be wrong, but to say, like, wow, that was something different. How do we react to that? And I'll kind of counter your point there, just saying we do make our predictions. We do have our predictions on, yeah. you know, the interest rates and stuff like that. And uh, we're, we're right some of the time. We're wrong some of the yeah. time. But it never changes our philosophy. Our predictions don't impact our right. philosophy whatsoever. We stick to value, even though value's been out of favor for the last decade. 
we know that you can still do well in value investing. Yeah. It just hasn't been as good as growth. But in the long term, your likelihood of doing better falls into the value investing side. And then also, yeah, we, we have our opinion on right. the interest rates, but we're not going to say, oh, well, we think that interest rates are going up. So we're going to take our multiple now and say 16.6. We're going to put it down to 16.2. No. doesn't yeah. really change our philosophy. And it is funny because the last few years, uh, growth has outperformed us. But I'm by no means embarrassed by our returns compared to growth. No. And people are not disappointed with the returns compared to growth. They may even know. I mean, I have clients that have been with me for like 20 years. Like, wow, I, I've done extremely well. You know, And 20 years is different than 10 years as well. It is. And the other thing, too, is people that do, oh, like I said earlier in the show, oh, I had Tesla, I had this, I had that. Oh, yeah, I had like 40% in cash. Or, oh, yeah, I had bonds, too. So they do the growth, but something yeah. else where we do a pure value strategy where we can outperform people that have been doing growth investing because they do other things. You, you know, and Jason, I forgot about the workshop. Yeah, we were about yeah because that. these are things we talk about the workshop. This is stuff that you learn at the workshop. You learn what we've done in the past, what we see going forward. It is free. And, and again, it's at Smith Brewery, uh, May 20th, 6 o'clock. That's a Thursday night. All the things you'll learn about investing. So you don't make those emotional mistakes. You don't like, oh, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to go to cash, or I'm going to buy this because everybody else is buying that. No. When you come to the workshop, you actually learn true fundamental investing. It is free, but you got to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com, smartinvesting2000.com. Hope to see you again Thursday, May 20th at Alesmith Brewery, 6 o'clock. All right, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Tobacula and speak with Tony. Tony, you're on the Smart Vestal, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've got a 457B plan through my employer. It's like one of those target date funds, basically. Uh, they make all the calls for me on that one. I'm not really uh, any kind of control over what gets invested in. I've been putting into that one for quite some time, but was interested in picking up uh, some other stock that would be of my own election, basically, and was interested in getting your guys's input on one that i found called pdac um it's related to lithium-ion battery recycling mm, okay hey, and, I, and i gotta ask you uh tony about the the target day fund are you forced to go in that fund or do you, or do you pick it or what? no 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 i'm not forced to do it i i choose to basically i've been putting in money into it for probably about the past uh 15 years probably actually and, and what is the year the target uh, date uh, one, it's like a 2040, Vanguard 2040. Okay. And one thing I would suggest you do is look at the percentage of bonds versus equities because we're not big on target date funds, to be honest with you, because we see that they have this set rule they have to follow, and why would you have any money in bonds as rates are going up? So say that, I don't know, 30 40% of the money they have in bonds, I think the performance going forward is not going to be very good. And also, too, I don't know about Vanguard, but maybe these are what we call funds of funds, where they have a fund that owns other funds and your fees, even with Vanguard. I mean, Vanguard has very low fees, but if they're doing a fund of fund, your fees can be higher than expected. So so take a second look on that because uh, Target 8 funds, I, I, I mostly it's on the bond side. I, yeah. I, I get worried about that. So, But let's take a look at uh, what is this called? Peridot Acquisition uh, Corporation? Yes, that's it. Okay. Symbol is PDAC. Unfortunately here, Tony, no P.E. ratio versus 2.6 for the industry, no price of sales, 
Uh, price to book value, 1.3. That's about the same as the industry. Well, better than the industry at 0.8. Uh, I'm not getting much on this company here. I, I, I have no sales growth, no earnings growth. Uh, the balance sheet, I say a current ratio of 3.8 versus 1.2. No debt on the balance sheet compared to 9,000 for the industry. Uh, I think it says a lithium battery industry. So this is kind of like a new industry. I think this is a smaller company. Chase, do you have anything on this company at all? Yeah, so actually, I look at the current price here to begin with. It's $10.24 for Paradot Acquisition Corporation. Uh, 52 week range. The low is $9.60, and the high, well, that's $15.74. Uh, the reason we're not getting much information on it is it actually is a SPAC. So oh, it's a shell go. company, essentially. Yeah. They, they are talking, it sounds like, about doing something in the lithium battery space. But, but the, the concern that we have with these types of companies, Tony, is they could be saying, oh, we're going to do this. And they could buy a terrible company, or they, they don't buy it. They merge with a terrible company that's in the lithium battery space. And all of a sudden, it's like, gosh, that's not the company I wanted them to buy. And now you're stuck with this right. new company here. So the scary thing about the SPAC market is it's truly gambling because you have no idea what business that they'll end up merging with. Right. And the SPACs are a special purpose acquisition companies, I think mm-hmm. is what they stand for. And they're actually starting to come under a little bit of a scrutiny from, from the regulators. Yeah. Because they're kind of realizing, like, these are line pools. They're kind of hyped a little bit. Um, it, it's not where I would want to go with, with my money either. And, and I'd rather have you, if you're going to do the own investing com- compared to a target fund, do other companies. Unless, I mean, th- this is speculative because of the, the batteries for electric cars, but I, I don't like to speculate. And I think you said this is your retirement or no, Tony? Uh, yeah, the, the uh, one through um, the nationwide account, the okay. target fund is for a retirement, correct, okay. retirement fund. Yeah. And is this one from retirement as well that you're looking at using this for retirement or no? No, no. This okay. was just something I'm into just as a long-term investment. I wasn't looking for anything to turn around anytime quick. Okay. Uh, just something to possibly invest in for the future with the uh, electric vehicle industry, kind of moving that direction. Thought it might be a good, uh, possibly be a good buy. Yeah, it, it, it's very, very speculative. Uh, it is a gamble. Um, I, it's something I would not recommend because I, I like to see my money grow not see my money go. Um, so, yeah, I, I would recommend stay away from it. Yeah, the tough part is it, it could go up, but it it's also just could do nothing there because yeah. it, it's don't know what the company is, and I like to invest in what we know, and yeah. there's not much to know about this company other than they have the idea of investing in a lithium battery company. All right, Tony, gotcha. and, and again, look more at that uh, target date fund. Uh, dig into that a little bit deeper. You might find that's not exactly what you what you want there. And if you have any questions, you call our office as well for you. All righty? Yeah, thank you, guys. Okay, Tony, have a good one. Bye-bye. You too. All right, that opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Lane. Lane, you're in the Smart Vessel Brent Chase. How can we help you? Morning, gentlemen. This is Wayne in San Diego. It's okay. Uh, I have a general <laughs> question. During last year especially this summer when interest rates hit extremely low, historical lows, a lot of the major, a lot of companies sold bonds to raise capital, okay? My -hmm. question is, a company like Apple, let's say they've got, I don't know, $200 million in cash, but they sold $100 million worth of bonds. So they only have $100 million net cash on the books, or just round numbers. And they took a bunch of this money to buy back stock. Wouldn't they be, why... 
If they have $200 million, why do you have to sell the bonds? I know you go out 10, 20, 30 years, these rates are going to be extremely low. But if you're generating so much cash for a company, why would you go out and put that debt on your balance sheet? I, uh, yeah, and I think we both have. So, so, I mean, and actually Apple did something like this years ago. And they, they you remember this, Chase? Yeah. They're going to go with And they did it. It made sense. But I, I know what you're saying. Why would they do that? Um, and you have to really look to see what type of industry they have. I don't like mm-hmm. it. And I think it was maybe a wise move if you're kind of building the company. But I don't like it if they're using a buyback stock. And I think that's what you're kind of saying. Why did they do it? I, I, don't, I don't know why they did it. Chase, do you have any... Yeah, I mean, kind of to, to explain why they did it a few years ago is, you know, the corporate tax rate was 35 yeah. percent, uh, not to mention what the states charge as well. So they said, <laughs> well, we're not going to repatriate that money. We're going to leave that money over in Europe. Yep. And then to raise capital, we're going to issue bonds and then we'll buy back stock. Right. We have the cash, but it's kind of stuck overseas because we don't want to pay the high taxes. Well, not with the, the lower tax rate. I, I'm not quite sure why they would need to continue to issue debt. Yeah. And they're not the only major company that did it during the summertime, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it, it might have just so, been for uncertainty. They didn't want to give up their maybe stock buyback plan, but they're like, gosh, we don't know what COVID's going to do. We can get a great interest rate. I'm going to almost say it's like, you know, we always tell people, open up a HELOC on your home if you own a home. You don't necessarily need to tap it. It's just good to have access right. to credit. I know a lot of companies opened, you know, credit lines just in case because they weren't sure how COVID was going to actually impact the overall economy. So it might have just been saying, well, hey, we can get a one and a half, two percent interest rate. I don't know what it was. Let's take advantage of that just for that kind of sleep at night comfortability. And, and, and before it did make a lot more sense because to repatriate, repatriate the stock was going to cost right. a lot of taxes and so forth. So we can see that right now we're kind of guessing why they did this. And I can't find out a good reason why they did, which does worry. They don't make major acquisitions, probably three billion for the beat earphones, uh, was the biggest acquisition that's ever been publicized, you know, yeah, for, yeah. for Apple, for example. Yeah. It's not like Microsoft's going out and spending $10, $15, 20000000 uh, billion dollars on deals, you know what I mean? Right, right. So, and, and we can speculate they could change that. Uh, I, I know, I, I hope they don't do this. They, they sometimes talk about the, car, the Apple car and stuff. I think that'd be disastrous. Right. Um, I, I, I don't know why they, they did that. There was no reason to do it. Uh, you do have to pay that interest now going forward, and yeah, maybe it's only a three or four percent interest rate, but still, you got to pay that. Um, I, I and the know. dividends minuscule. I mean, they could have raised the dividend to two, get the dividend at two percent, yeah, and not sold bonds. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, that's why we don't own Apple. They're, they're just the stock price is high. Everybody loves it, but financially, there's things that just don't make sense to us. Yeah, and there might have been something in the conference call. I think the CFO's name is like Luca something, I believe. But yeah, I know he used to address kind of why they would raise capital, what their plans were. So, um, yeah, I'm curious what, what he had to say about it when they, they did it. Yeah. So, yeah, good yeah. questions. Uh, um, I wish we had the answers, Wayne, but uh, good questions. Because their if, goal, they, they say the long-term goal is to get net zero between assets and liabilities. And not if you, even if you still got $100 billion sitting on the, on, on, at the bottom line, you got a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, okay. too, that their businesses could change because I know there's a tack on the, the amount, the profits that they're making off of the app store and stuff. What if that takes away their yeah. cash flow? So I don't know. I mean, it, it's a great business. They've done very well, but I just don't think it's worth, you know, 20, what is it, four earnings, 22 times four earnings? I don't know what the exact number was. Yeah. 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 But, but I yeah. was kind of surprised they did it, and there's a lot of other major 
companies that did the same thing. And I'm going, you guys have, you guys, you know, you got huge balance sheets of, you know, cash on the, that already, what do you need more for? You know, unless <laughs> you have a specific use for it. And, you know, Apple didn't come out and say, have a specific use in my book. Yeah, you and, know. and I always go back 20 years, like, what would Warren Buffett have done? He wouldn't have done this at all, you know? So, uh, and I know he owns okay. a lot of Apple, but yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree with you. I, another reason why I would not recommend owning Apple because it makes no sense what they did. And same thing with other companies. We like to watch financially what they're doing. If they're doing something crazy, yeah, maybe we don't hold that. Right, anyway. Warren Buffett, I think, has, has his letter or, or his conference this week. And so it'd be interesting what he has to say about the market. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious how much of that letter he's writing now versus his uh, lieutenants, as we call them. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, they're, I both get, they're, they're both getting up there in eight years, so give yep. them credit, whatever they do. Yep, yep. So. Right, thanks for your information, Jim. I appreciate the show. Okay, Wayne. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that opens up the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. I'm just amazed right now. Uh, I just looked up the ages for Buffett and Munger. Right. Uh, Buffett is now 90. Right. And Charlie Munger is 97. 97. And he's still... Oh, he was born on January 1st. January 1st, 1924. <laughs> How about that? He lived during the Great Depression. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not going to live forever. Uh, somebody else, I think, just this past week died at 99. I mean... You know, I mean, there's, and I know there's more centarians that are over 100 than ever before. Um, but yeah, they're not going to live forever. And, I, and, and they're just like, well, um, Benjamin Graham. I mean, he passed away many, many years ago, but his principles live on. And I think the same thing will happen with Warren Buffett. Uh, his principles live on. And it's just common sense in bed. That's what people say. That's why our clients love what we do. It's like, it's so common sense. Why does everybody do it? Because the emotions come into play. Yeah, and I, I will kind of, again, say what you said on that letter. I, I don't think it's the letter that it used to be. I mean, at, at 90, I, I do wonder how much Buffett is still involved. Um, you know, the, the Berkshire annual meeting, the shareholder meeting, I, I know I think they did like a, a conference call essentially last year, yeah. like an online presentation. I, I just, I don't know. I don't think it has the same stigma that it used to. No. You know, and I, it, I don't think it ever will. But again, the principles will live Long. forever, yeah. and, and, and that's what you have to go back to. Is not what he's doing now, or what Berkshire Hathaway's doing now, but the principles will live on. Same thing that uh, Benjamin Graham did as well. So, uh, oh, the workshop. I want to talk about the workshop again because it's only this is May first, so it's only what, like three weeks away. Yeah. So nineteen days. Nineteen days. So uh, we do have limited seating there, but we will go over how we do investing, how we go over the fundamentals, how we get our target sell price. Uh, looking at how much you need to look into the financial statements, things you shouldn't be doing because it could be costing you money. It's all free, but what you have to do is you have to sign up. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Or go or call our office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Uh, wait for Brianna's prompt. Talk to Brianna. She'll get you signed up. All righty. Let's go back out to, or let's go up to Buena Park and speak with Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, gents. Uh, happy Saturday. Yes, it is a happy Saturday. Beautiful out there. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk to you guys and get your thoughts on uh, Xilinx. Um, 
Uh, I've held it for a long time and got a proxy recently um, for uh, uh, AMD wants to buy Xilinx. And uh, it looks like it makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, and and so I, I, I voted for it, and I can't find my proxy anywhere, but it seems to me that they, in the proxy, that they, they had fixed the uh, the share price at uh, that AMD was going to pay for Xilinx at like 134 or some something like that, and and Xilinx has been eh, relatively volatile recently, um, but you know I think last was like 127, 128, um, and 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 I'm just wondering what happens, you know, between between now and then if if AMD is really going to pay that and did I find that number or was that a suggested number because uh, I can't find it in any of the press releases now um, and so just kind of curious um, you know, what, do, what do you do while you're sitting and and waiting if you think you're going to get a 134 number at some point in time when they close uh, the transaction and you're at 127 um, so what, well, why should I wait for the locked in the locked in gain or why shouldn't I buy more if I can get more down the road uh, you, great. you follow where I'm going? I follow exactly where you're going. Uh, first question is, do you know if they're paying all cash deal or is it cash and stock or stack, stock only? Do you know that, what they're doing I, on that? I, I, I don't remember. I thought it was stock valued at the conversion rate of 134. Okay, good. That makes a whole different situation because if, if it was cash deal at 134, what would happen is that you know that's pretty much locked in. But now they're using AMDs using their stock as their currency. If their stock falls, well, that's not going to be good for Xilinx on this transaction. The other thing I tell people to look at when you look at Xilinx, would you keep this company if the deal doesn't go through? If the answer is no, then you sell it. You don't be part of it and so forth. It takes it out completely. Um, but that's what we'll go over the numbers for you. Chase, did you have something specifically on the deal? Uh, yeah, so it does actually look like um, the – Agreement reached last October. They agreed to acquire Xilinx under the terms AMD will pay 1.7234 shares for each Xilinx share. So it's not the 134 in cash. It's it, I think essentially this is going to fluctuate. Xilinx will continue to fluctuate, not necessarily on Xilinx, but it could fluctuate off AMD stock right. price because that's what off you'll be AMD. receiving. Okay. Yep. So let's take the numbers at Xilinx here to see if it's uh, worth holding or not. Because, again, you want to, always want to be prepared if the deal doesn't go through, the stock could drop dramatically because this pushed up the price. And then you're left like, oh, shoot, I should have sold a higher price. So we're going to take a look at uh, Xilinx here. Symbol is XLNX. Uh, P.E. ratio now 51.2, which is above the industry at 37.6. Price to sales 10.3. Also expensive compared to the industry at 6.6. Price to book value is 17.5 versus 23, and price of cash flow is 38.7 versus 20. Now, you do get a 1.2% dividend. They use 59% of their earnings to pay that out. Sales for Xilinx are, wow, down 5.6% year over year. And I say, wow, because the industry is up 10%. And the earnings for Xilinx fell by 25.5% when the industry was down 0.6%. The balance sheet looks pretty good here. Current ratio 3.6 versus 2.3. Debt to equity 77 versus 64, and return on equity is 23.7, above the interest is 17.8. Net profit margin 20.3 versus 
8.5. And then inventory turnover looking good as well. 11.7 versus 8.3. Inventory turnover 3, not as good as the industry at, five, at 4.8. Jace, what do you got for the earnings? Yeah, so current price here for Xilinx is $127.96. 52-week high is $154.93. 52-week low, well, that's $80.45. I go out to March 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $3.31. Not surprised here. It gives a target sell price of $53.29. So low because it appreciated so much after the news on the acquisition there. So as Brent said, I mean, if this deal were to fall apart, which it does appear it was approved by the shareholders of both sides, but if there's any regulatory potential problems, that could have a very negative impact on the stock price. On the upside, I do know I've seen this before is people think, oh, there's going to be bidding wars and stuff. So when deals are announced, you could see it go above that acquisition price. But it looks like this one is pretty safe. So I I think this is just going to continue to fluctuate based off of AMD stock price. And and I don't think you'll see much in profits either there, Jeff. So I I, I would be saying I would take the cash, put it in the cash, you know, look for something else to buy. There's not a lot out there to buy now. But I, I think over the next six months that will change. Um, and then you'll be happy that you have that cash to turn around and buy something at a much better earnings. Uh, as Chase said, there, the, the deal can fall through, which doesn't appear to be that way. But if AMD has problems and their stock drops, uh, Xilinx will drop as well. Because it's a, you said 1.74. It's like 1.7234. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I, I usually back away when a company's going to be acquired unless I'm still getting a good price. And I still like that company if the deal fell through. And this one is it's fully valued. Yeah. So. Yeah, so Chase, where'd you find that? Because I've been looking for it because I couldn't find my proxy. Where did you? <laughs> I just canceled out of that. I believe it was on the street, and it was from uh, April 7, 2021. But it, it, I just Googled, like, AMD, XLNX, okay. and then... Um, News. Oh, yeah, and there's actually one on Yahoo... Fi- no, it's a Yahoo Finance one, that AMD and Xilinx. No, that one didn't have the information. Sorry, no, it didn't. Here. Yeah, I looked there. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was the dot com. Um, it says AMD acquisition of Xilinx approved by shareholders, um, and that was on April seventh, two thousand twenty-one. So that, that's where I got those numbers. And I think if you went to Xilinx website as well, I'm sure it'd be there also, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it does say that it's going to be a cash deal, huh? No, no, a stock deal. I mean, a, a stock deal, but valued at, or they're going to give shares one point seven two three per one. Correct. Right. Yeah. So it, it values Xilinx at the initial price at around one hundred forty three dollars per share, but it's all based off of stock. And yeah. They, they essentially converted that to uh, the one point seven two three four AMD shares. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, the, the, other right. thing, the other thing too, Jeff, is that if you stay with it, then you're going to be holding AMD. Do you want to hold AMD? And if you say, "Oh no, it's way too pricey," then again, another reason to sell Xilinx now. So. Yeah. Well. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Xilinx, I mean, AMD is uh, pretty pricey uh, as well, but it's not as pricey as as uh, um, as Xilinx. So it it's kind of uh, it's and of course, I mean, I think you guys were talking about AMD a little bit earlier. Um, I mean, they they have really become quite a um, quite a quite a powerhouse. Yes, they, they, um, they've done very well. And and so I, I although they've run up a lot and become a lot more expensive than they were. Uh, back like when I bought my Xilinx, um, it's uh, uh, I, I, I guess the the thing I need to do is do some do some deep dive into there um, and into AMD and see how much I like that uh, versus deciding whether I want to stay here. I I just hate to I, I have a 
uh, about a 45% gain in it right now. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, I, I don't know if I want to pay the tax. Um, and, and as you said, there's not a lot to buy out there right now, which makes it hard to want to sell. Well, it, it actually doesn't because if you're investing longer term, as I said, over the next six months. And, and, and when we sell something in our portfolio, it's not like, oh, we're going to buy something else. You, you, the, the, the two separate decisions. Selling oh, okay. is, agree agree yeah. completely. Yeah. So, agree completely. So, so don't say, well, I don't want to sell it because I'll pay the tax and nothing to buy. Just say, no, I should sell this and, and move on. And, you know, so. All right, Jeff. Very good. I appreciate the help, guys. Enjoy right. the show. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Alrighty, that uh, I was gonna say another phone, but it's well, it's like five till ten already. Where'd the time go? I don't know. Yeah, one quick. So, yeah. um, but, what's that? I, yeah, I'll let you take. Well, what, well no, because I was gonna talk about the workshop because it, this, this was a great one to kind of wrap up with with, yeah. with Jeff because we're talking about well, I don't, I don't want to sell because of tax and so. This is what we talk about the workshop. I mean, if you enjoy the radio show and you enjoy the concept. Uh, this is why I don't think we've ever had a, uh, anybody say at the workshop didn't learn anything because we have different conversations. We go over what I've dealt with for, gosh, well over 25 years now, probably doing the workshops. Yeah. And and it really gives you something to kind of grab onto when it comes to investing. You know, we talk about target prices. We talk about the financial statements. We talk about what not to do. We, we talked earlier in the show with somebody that had a, a target fund. We talk about why not to do mutual funds or target funds. I mean, how you can not make money on those. I mean, this is why we do the workshop, and, it, and it's free. Uh, we love doing it in person with people. It is going to be uh, Thursday, May 20th at 6 o'clock at the Alesmith Brewery right off of uh, Miramar Road, and, it, and it's a great time. I'm, I'm so happy that we get back to do these in person again because I've, I've done them for over 20 years now, and it's such a pleasure to get out there because I love doing the radio show, but I also like being personal with people and the conversations that we have and what we, we, we do in the workshop. Yeah, and I, I, I think the reason people enjoy it, and it's interesting, I had a conversation with a gentleman yesterday. He's not a client. He, he likes to do it himself. <laughs> but he's like, you guys are my, my number one pick when I decide I want to you know, not do it anymore, essentially. He said, the reason is I think there's so many other salesy people out there mm-hmm. that just sell products and things like that. He said, I don't get that from you guys. And, and it's true. Don't get us wrong. We, we want to manage money. That's what right. we do. That's our service is an investing service. We, right. Um, but you know, if, if you don't want to invest with us, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to be mean to you after the <laughs> workshop or anything. We're not, we're not having you come to the workshop just to sell you a mutual fund or sell you some annuity or anything like that. Right. We show you what you do, what we do. And if you like it, great, become a client. If you want to take it home and do it yourself. Okay. That's cool too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's exactly it because we want to show you what we do because we also know nobody else does what we do. And it can't really be duplicated because they've been doing this for so many years. Somebody can try to duplicate it, but they want to have the same thing. But that's why we show you everything, how we do it. If you, We would love to have you as a client if you want to be. If not, we enjoy our listeners as well. We enjoy speaking and, and, and helping other people out as well. So if you want to sign up for the workshop, it is free. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Click on the tab for the workshop. Get signed up. We'd love to see you there on Thursday at 6 o'clock, May 20th at Alesmith Brewery. Uh, you can call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And just uh, wait for Brianna's prompt to come up and sign up with her there. But uh, really looking forward to this. I love doing the workshops. Yeah. And we, we look forward to doing them this year. And 
look forward to the economy continuing to reopen and um, it's going to be a good year. Yep. And there's a closing bell. So thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for information purposes only. It should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thompson Reuters Refinitiv. Closing song, Frank Sinatra's My Way, is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. And we'll talk more next week. And may I say, not in a shop.